0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Receiving Help Despite Our Weakness. In the first half, Gerald Cosset shares his address, For when I am weak, then am I strong. Then in the second half, Kent P. Jackson speaks on Receiving.
1: My dear brothers and sisters, it's a joy and a blessing to address you this morning. You are such a remarkable generation in the history of gospel dispensations. Recently, I participated in a dinner honoring the ambassador of a European nation. He had just finished a full day of visiting church sites in Utah. I asked him what had impressed him the most. His face suddenly changed, and he responded with a voice, charged with emotion. What touched me most was the visit of the BYU campus and the missionary training center. What beautiful youth you have! Last year, when the Lord decided to hasten His work, it was to the youth of the Church that He made the call. Following the announcement by President Thomas S. Manson that the ages for serving missions had been lowered, a wonderful wave of enthusiasm came across the Church. Tens of thousands of your generation are responding to the call of the prophet. Perhaps the change in mission age was a surprise for many people, especially those outside of the Church. Some probably wondered, why would the Church put so much responsibility in the hands of inexperienced young people who are barely out of high school? I remember asking the following question of several mission presidents. Rather than young volunteers of eighteen or nineteen years of age, if we offered to send you professional missionaries who were older and had great command of the scriptures, missionary lessons, missionary methods, and language of the country, would you take them?" They all answered without hesitation, No, thank you. We love our young missionaries. What is so beautiful and powerful in having a missionary force essentially composed of young men and young women without much experience? The scriptures are filled with stories of young and modest people who, having a great faith and being magnified by the power of God, accomplish exceptional things. Among them were Enoch, who considered himself to be a lad, who was slow of speech. Joseph Smith, who described himself as an obscure boy and of no consequence in the world, and the Virgin Mary, who marveled that she had been chosen to become the Lord's mother, saying, My soul doth magnify the Lord, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. These great young people had pure and humble hearts, yet the Lord made them powerful in words and deeds to accomplish His designs. The scripture was fulfilled that said, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. My brothers and sisters, this scripture is now truer than ever before. I often think of the enormous challenges facing your generation. You are living in an often hostile world at a time when great personal strength must be used to maintain righteousness and succeed in one's personal goals. Perhaps you feel too weak to overcome such challenges. Perhaps you fear that you are not up to it. There is no shame in that. Everyone experiences those feelings at one time or another. I assure you the Lord has the power to transform your weaknesses into strength. The promise made by the Lord to the Apostle Paul is valid for each of you. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And later Paul added, For when I am weak, then am I strong. This promise, though a paradox, is very real, allow me to describe a few principles that I believe can help you receive strength to overcome the challenges of life. First principle, build on your strength. When you look in the mirror each morning, what do you see? We are such a blend of multiple and diverse talents, traits, and attributes. All of us have abilities, strengths, weaknesses, and inadequacies. However, getting an objective and accurate evaluation of our own selves is difficult. While some take an indulgent and embellished look at themselves, there will be others who focus on their weaknesses and doubt their own abilities. One of the most comforting teachings of the gospel is that each son and daughter of God, every one of us, is born with an inheritance of gifts, talents, and abilities that can help us through our healthy mission. The scripture says, For there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. We cannot be happy and successful in life without gratefully acknowledging those gifts and doing all we can to develop them. Our problem is never that we have no strength. The problem comes when we do not recognize our strengths and build upon them. A couple of years ago, I saw a film about King George VI, who led the United Kingdom through the dark hours of World War II. When he was forced to take the throne after his brother's abdication, he doubted his ability to become the powerful leader the country needed in the face of war. George didn't have the charisma of his predecessors. He also had a disabling speech impediment, and his most dreaded fear was that he would have to speak to the nation in an effort to galvanize them toward victory. One scene depicts George watching television as, as Hitler Hitler stirred up his nation to engage in war. Hitler's ferocious rhetoric and proclaimed invincibility contrasted with George's humility and apparent vulnerability. However, George refused to let his weakness overwhelm him. Instead, he used his God-given gifts of dignity, courage, and perseverance to overcome his disability through long and exhausting therapy. He eventually addressed the nation in a powerful speech and became the right man at the right place to lead his people to victory. Like George VI, all of you have received remarkable abilities and strengths from the Lord on which you can build to overcome your weaknesses and bless the lives of others. With a humble and honest heart, Seek to identify, develop, and apply for good those gifts that the Lord has given you. Second principle, recognize your personal limitations. In order to become strong in the Lord, we need to recognize our personal limitations. For some, one of the life's greater challenges is accepting their own limits because of pride They prefer to see themselves as bigger, stronger, and more capable than they really are. They want to create this illusion both to impress others and especially themselves. I would like to share an experience from my youth. When I was 15, I noticed that my vision was getting progressively worse. At the time, for a reason that I have a hard time understanding now, I didn't want to recognize nor accept it. I hid the truth from my relatives—my teachers, also, and my life began to get more and more difficult. Being unable to read the chalkboard, I had to copy over the shoulders of my classmates. When on the street, I was no longer able to read signs and traffic signals, which caused me to take the wrong bus many times and get lost. Several months passed before a medical checkup in high school liberated me from my secret. I had to resign myself to wearing a magnificent pair of glasses, which, to my great surprise, made life much more practical and enjoyable than I had imagined. One reason we may not want to acknowledge our personal limitations is that weakness is perceived by society as a fault or a failure. The world values the cult of the invincible. Superheroes from Batman to Superman abound in our media. This ideology leads to dangerous behavior. We see people who want to hide their problems under the appearance of strength through boasting, aggressiveness, and abusive behaviors. Some are also obsessed to outperform others that they turn to drugs, or other stimulants in order to do so. Still others lose themselves in egotism and self-admiration. These forms of pride lead to disappointment, ineffectiveness, or worse. God is not the God of superheroes nor of people without weaknesses. Such beings do not exist. He helps people like you and me, those who recognize their limits and their weaknesses and seek his help and guidance. Failing to recognize our limitations will block our progression. On the other hand, accepting them humbly lays the foundation for eternal progression. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview Gael Yonet. Gael is a former BYU student from France. At the age of 31, while he was in the final year of his medical school, he participated in a snowboard competition at Snowbird. It turned out to be very tragic for him. He missed his second jump and crashed from a height of 40 feet onto the icy snow below. When he regained consciousness, he realized that he had lost feelings in his lower limbs. After four years of medical studies, Gale understood what pain in his stomach and numbness under his belly button meant. He was indeed paralyzed. Gail said that on the day following the accident, he awoke with feelings of intense distress. He thought to himself, there are many simple things in life, such as going to the bathroom, that I can no longer do on my own. If that is how I am going to have to live, maybe it's better for me to die. Shortly thereafter, he met another patient at the hospital who was a quadriplegic. That patient confided in him, I would so much like to have arms like yours. This was a key moment for Gail. If someone could be envious of what he had, he should be grateful to still have it. Gail testifies, We all want something more. I believe that is human nature. But I discovered that the key to happiness is to accept ourselves as we are, to be content and to live with what we have. I miss my legs terribly. But in the end, I don't have any other choice but to move forward and try to be happy without them. During the time he was at the hospital, he learned more about pain and about caring for patients than he could have learned in several years of medical school. Gail decided to specialize in rehabilitative medicine. Today, he is a renowned doctor who works with patients suffering from spinal injuries, amputations, strokes, and seizures, and multiple sclerosis. His patients praise his empathy and his ability to understand their problems. For Gail, the acceptance of his limitations was the starting point for his own exceptional progress. Now the third principle, rely on the Lord. In the northern provinces of Canada, there is an old fable or a version of this old fable about two geese and a tortoise. They had a strong friendship. The story goes something like this. When fall arrived, the geese planned to migrate south for the winter. One evening, the geese worried about the situation of their friend, the tortoise. It is too bad that you can't fly, said one of the geese. You will certainly miss us. How will you survive? I have an idea, responded the tortoise. Why not find a good stick that you can hold in your beaks? I will hold on to it with my teeth. Thus, when you fly south, I will fly with you. Do you think you are strong enough to hold on for such a long time as the other goose?" "'Certainly, I am very strong,' said the tortoise." A few days later, somewhere over Montana, a farmer raised his eyes and saw something unbelievable two geese flying over his head with a stick in their beaks and a tortoise holding on to the stick. He cried out, "'That's incredible! Who has such a great idea?' Knowing that it was his idea, the tortoise couldn't resist and cried out, It was I. And the tortoise fell. (laughs) This story illustrates how pride leads its victims to their fall. It whispers to them, You can't get there all alone. You just need a little intelligence and strength. This reasoning may work in certain aspects of our life. However, it is of no value in accomplishing the core purpose of our existence. Are our personal abilities, intelligence, and work sufficient to enable us to fulfill the measure of our creation? Can we, by our own efforts, raise ourselves to the level of perfection required to return to the presence of God? Certainly not. True wisdom includes recognizing our dependence on our Creator and His Son, Jesus Christ, to reach our full potential. Whatever our personal capabilities, we know that no flesh can dwell in the presence of God save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Where pride says, I am the one who did it, wisdom prefers to recognize God empowered me to be able to do it. After the remarkable success on his mission among the Lamanites, Ammon humbly recognized the hand of the Lord in these terms. Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Yea, behold many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land for which we will praise His name forever. Recognizing our personal limitations doesn't mean that we should put ourselves down and wallow in our weaknesses. Accepting our limitations is not an excuse to limit ourselves. On the contrary, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we aspire to that which is better and more elevated. The goal of our existence is to be raised to a level of perfection that will allow us to return to live in the presence of our Heavenly Father. We firmly believe that each son and each daughter of God possesses in himself or herself the potential to inherit all that God has and to become such as He is. But no one can reach this ultimate goal— by relying solely on the arm of flesh. If we rely on our personal abilities, our progress is and always will remain limited. However, when we move forward in the strength of the Lord, our potential for progress knows no bounds. Another important point to remember is that we usually experience our greatest growth when we face difficult, if not impossible, situations. The acute awareness that we have of our own limitations pushes us to humbly seek the help of our Creator. An example of this is found in the Old Testament, when Gideon, head of the Israelites' armies, prepared to fight the Midianites with 32,000 men. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel vound themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. So step by step, the Lord asked Gideon to reduce the number of his soldiers until only three hundred remained. It is when it became impossible for Gideon to conquer the Midianites with his own strength that the Lord sent him to battle and miraculously delivered the enemy into his hands. My brothers and sisters, you probably have had this type of experience yourselves. The Lord often places His servants in situations with seemingly insurmountable obstacles. In this manner, He pushes us to humble ourselves and to rely solely on His strength. He makes us instruments of His miracles and the manifestations of His power and compassion. That is perhaps the reason why missionary work is performed by missionaries who are, for the most part, young and inexperienced. It is also perhaps the reason why so many members receive callings and responsibilities that often appear to them to be beyond their strengths and abilities. I had this type of experience a little while ago—actually, over five years ago—when I was called as a General Authority of the Church. At that time— My family and I lived in France. Life had smiled on us, and we thought that we had received all the blessings we could possibly wish for, both within our family and materially. One evening, completely unexpectedly, President Thomas S. called our home. I can still remember the sound of his voice as he said, Brother Cosset, you have been called to serve as a Seventy until you turn Seventy. Well, we valiantly accepted the call with faith and determination. But in that few minutes, our lives had been totally turned upside down. My call meant that we were going to leave our home country and live the next 26 years wherever the Lord wanted us to serve. Additionally, I had only a few days to resign from my professional responsibilities if I was to be ready to serve in the time frame requested by the prophet— The next morning, I woke up early to get ready for work. I remember sitting at the kitchen table eating breakfast. Suddenly, I felt completely petrified, even paralyzed. The idea of announcing to the president of my company that I was leaving his employment seemed insurmountable to me. I felt tied to him by great loyalty. Everything was moving too fast, too unexpectedly, overcome I began to pray fervently, asking the Lord for the strength to do whatever He wanted me to do. When I reopened my eyes, I saw an issue of the Liahona lying on the table. It was the October 2007 General Conference edition. Opening it at random, I fell on an article whose title caught my attention. In English, Live by Faith and Not by Fear. I said to myself, that's exactly what I need. It was a talk by Elder Quinin L. Cook, in which he told a story of his calling as a general authority. He explained that he was not filling up to the calling and had asked for counsel from Elder Neal A. Maxwell. Elder Maxwell explained that the most important qualification for serving in the kingdom was to be able to bear testimony of the divinity of the Savior. Elder Cook then quoted the promise that the Lord made to His servants in the Doctrine and Covenants, which says, Wherefore, be of good cheer, and do not fear, for I, the Lord, am with you, and will stand by you, and you shall bear record of me, even Jesus Christ. In reading this scripture, I experienced a complete change. I knew what I had to do. My responsibility was to bear testimony of the Savior. The Lord would take care of the rest. Thus, I left for work with a reassured heart. The interview with my employer went beyond my hopes. I was able to testify very simply of my love for the Savior and of my desire to serve him. At that moment, the Spirit entered the office where we were meeting. Touched by my words, the president assured me of his understanding, his respect, and his support. He later sent a letter to all the managers of my company asking them to do the same. Is there any more beautiful experience than to feel the influence of the Lord working in our lives, to know that He is there close by, to feel that He magnifies and enhances our natural abilities, thereby making us tools? in His hands. I firmly believe that there is much more joy and satisfaction in saying, It is the Lord who did it through me, rather than saying, I did it all by myself. Fourth principle, qualify yourselves to receive the grace of the Savior. The power that allows us to raise ourselves above our mortal condition and our human abilities is called the grace of the Savior. As Elder Neil L. Anderson said, Grace is spiritual knowledge and power that changes how someone sees himself, increases his capacities, and magnifies his ability to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. Close quote. Grace is one of the gifts of God made possible through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself spoke to Moroni in these terms. If men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. I testify that this power of grace is of divine origin and is real and tangible. Each one of us can access it on condition of receiving the ordinances of the gospel. As is said in the sacrament prayer, one of the promises made to all those who persevere in respecting these ordinances is that they may always have His Spirit to be with them. The Spirit of the Lord, or the Holy Ghost, is the agent of the Atonement. Thanks to His gentle influence, we can feel the love of the Savior and receive His grace in our lives. When the Spirit accompanies us, we become aware of a powerful transformation taking place within us as our weaknesses are transformed into strengths and our natural abilities are magnified and enhanced beyond even what we believe is possible. The Spirit sanctifies us and progressively raises us beyond our mortal condition. My young brothers and sisters, I express my love for you and my deep admiration for the example and strength you are for the entire Church. Each of you has been endowed with a remarkable set of gifts, talents, and abilities. As you build upon these strengths, humbly recognize your personal limitations, Remain faithful to your covenants and put your confidence in the Lord. You will see your weaknesses transformed into strength through the power and grace of His Atonement. You will have the ability to meet the challenges you will face in your life. With Paul, you will be able to say, For when I am weak, then am I strong. Of these things I testify humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is receiving help despite our weakness. We've just heard from Gerald Cosay. After the break, we'll return with Kent P. Jackson for receiving. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Receiving Help Despite Our Weakness. Next is Kent P. Jackson, BYU professor of ancient scripture at the time of this address, titled
2: Receiving. When I was young, my parents reminded me often that it is better to give than to receive. I used to hear this frequently at Christmas time. The statement is true enough because the natural man is selfish, and learning how not to be selfish is one of the most important pursuits of life. But today I would like to discuss the reasons why it is important that we learn how to receive. Because this is a lesson that I am trying to learn myself, much of my address will be autobiographical. When I graduated from high school, I had the opportunity to spend the summer and fall with two friends working in a factory in a city far from home. We attended the local branch of the Church. The members there thought that we were an interesting bunch—three young men away from home, going to work in a factory each day, doing things we weren't particularly good at, yet obviously surviving from day to day. We often received invitations from branch members to have dinner at their homes, and we always turned them down. It wasn't until years later that I realized that to do so was a big mistake. You see, we turned them down because we thought it was the noble thing to do. We had sufficient finances, we could take care of ourselves, and we didn't want to inconvenience anyone. We didn't realize at the time that in not accepting invitations to dinner, we were missing out on good experiences and fellowship with kindly Latter-day Saints— But more important, we were depriving others of the blessing of serving us, and we were depriving ourselves of the blessing of receiving their service. Our real issue, of course, was pride. We were too proud to receive service from others who wished simply to bless our lives. It is remarkable how often the scriptures teach that we must receive. For example, when we are confirmed members of the Church, we are told to receive the Holy Ghost. We cannot compel or conjure the Spirit's presence. We can only receive what has been freely offered. Likewise, the verb commonly used with the phrase remission of sin is receive. We can't make a remission of sin, earn it, attain it, or create it. Our faithfulness is required, but it is Jesus' agency that brings the remission of our sins to pass. And finally, we are to be perfect, but we cannot perfect ourselves. The Book of Mormon teaches that we are to be perfected in Christ, something that is done by His grace. The passive voice shows that we are not the doers of the verb but the receivers. Indeed, any notion that we have of spiritual accomplishment or self-sufficiency is shattered as we read the scriptures and come to a better understanding of the gospel. Peter learned this lesson the hard way when he refused Jesus' humble act of servitude, saying, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus responded, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Once I was in Turkey with a busload of American tourists. One day we were sitting in our bus after a visit, waiting to continue our trip. Next to where we were parked was a fruit and vegetable shop. As we were sitting on the bus, I noticed a boy, about ten years old, leave the shop and board the bus with a box of fresh cucumbers to give to the people on the bus. Middle Eastern cucumbers are sweet and delicious, and people eat them for snacks. The boy had dressed up for his mission to our bus with his suit coat on and his hair freshly combed and still moist from the combing. I was touched by the kindness of the boy and his shopkeeper father for providing this treat as an act of love and hospitality for the foreigners in their town. It was in keeping with what I have grown to love so much from the culture of Muslims in the Middle East. The smiling boy walked from the front of the bus to the back, offering the delicious treats along the way. There were enough for all. As he began to walk back to the front of the bus, someone offered him money, which he refused. Getting money was not the boy's objective in bringing the cucumbers. The American became insistent and eventually stuffed some money into the boy's pocket, much to the boy's embarrassment and dismay. As he tried to escape to the front of the bus, others followed suit, putting money in his pockets or throwing it in his box. As he made his way to the front exit, I noticed his expression change from happiness to disappointment to embarrassment to sadness. By the time he arrived at the front, he was in tears. I was heartbroken and embarrassed. The boy was deeply hurt. His act of love had been prostituted into an act of business. But the people on the bus, all fine people, felt good about themselves. They felt justified. Someone had provided them with a service for which they needed to pay. They had paid their own way, and they didn't want to owe anything to anybody. I have found that the philosophy of self-sufficiency that underlies these instincts runs deep in many Latter-day Saints. Some think, I don't need any help. I can take care of myself, and everybody else should do the same. This idea forms the basis of the political and social feelings of many, and it has caused not a few Latter-day Saints to miss blessings in life but also to misunderstand the nature of the gospel. In fact, God has created us to be dependent on others. And dependent means that we must quickly learn that others have things to offer us without which we cannot live. It is true that many of the Lord's creations never see a parent and are able to be self-sufficient the moment they hatch out of an egg. But not so with God's children. The most helpless creature on the planet is a newly born human which could not survive for more than a few hours without immediate care. Newborn humans are programmed from birth to receive, and to do so for many years. We remain dependent on others for the basics of life for a long time and usually aren't financially independent until our mid-twenties or later. Along the way, our quest is to continue receiving where we must, but to learn independence so eventually we can do more for ourselves. The conflict between our dependence and our imagined self-sufficiency starts early. Children, still very dependent on their parents, do things to demonstrate their independence. This was the source of most of the traumas that you had with your parents while you were growing up. Some of the greatest lessons of life and the sweetest experiences result from the giving and receiving between parent and child. Watching my children learn to walk was one of the best experiences of my life. Watching them learn to drive was not. (laughs) Watching my children learn to speak, to read, to make decisions, participating in their baptisms and ordinations and witnessing their marriages made me a better person and welded our hearts together. And seeing them go off on their own with various levels of independence has been a blessing both for parent and child. But we remain dependent in many ways throughout our lives. Sister Jackson and our four adult daughters are best friends and have frequent outings together. I still miss my parents, both of whom passed away in recent years, and even my grandparents, who died forty years ago. The emotional bonds of mutual dependence within families are part of God's plan, and they are not intended to go away, even with death. Sometimes when things go very wrong, we have a clear understanding of our need for others and know that we have no choice but to ask for and receive help. On those occasions, our plight is obvious— Years ago I was with a friend from another university driving through the deserts of Jordan looking at obscure archaeological sites. In the middle of nowhere we had a flat tire. We soon found that there was not a workable spare in our rental car. This was in the days prior to cell phones, so we had no option but to ask for help from total strangers. We jacked up the car, took off the tire, and stood by the side of the road. The very first vehicle that came by stopped and took us in. It was a small local bus. The occupants of the bus immediately got into a vigorous discussion about where the nearest tire shop was located. When they sorted it out, the van took us out of its way to a tire shop in a nearby town. The driver would accept no fare for transportation. The repairman fixed the tire and wouldn't accept money for the repair job. We then stood out on the highway with our tire—newly repaired—and again the first vehicle that came by picked us up and took us back to our car. We put the tire back on and went on with our trip. The next morning we headed off again for another day of exploration. History repeated itself. We soon had another flat tire with no spare. We jacked up the car, took off the tire and stood by the side of the road. The first vehicle that came along stopped, let us in, and took us to a tire shop in the next town. The repairman fixed the tire, and we then stood out on the side of the road with our newly repaired tire. And again, the first vehicle that came along picked us up and took us back to our car. We put the tire back on and went on with our trip. Now, you are probably thinking one or both of the following thoughts. Number one, was there ever really a time in which there were no cell phones? (laughs) Number two, this story would never happen in Provo. But let me add a few other thoughts. What if we had been unwilling to accept the reality that we had a serious need? would we still be sitting in that car today? What if we had been unwilling to receive help? What if we had refused to accept the generosity of those who gave us assistance? After all, we received all four rides and one of the repair jobs for free. What if we had concluded that Arab generosity was silly and old-fashioned and we didn't want to have anything to do with it? Well, we had no other options. We knew that we were in need of help, and we were smart enough to accept it when it came. Most of our needs are not as obvious, and so we are sometimes deluded into thinking that we can work things out on our own. What a tragedy it is when those occasions involve the things that matter most. I have witnessed in my life and learned through experience that God often answers our prayers through other people. When we earnestly pray for help, someone might cross our path at the right time to say the right word, lift a burden we are bearing, or simply provide conversation and companionship. Such events are usually unexpected, but they aren't coincidences. We have all heard stories about someone being prompted to contact someone, knowing she's needs me or he's in trouble thereby averting some sorrow or tragedy. But most of the time the promptings are much more subtle, and the earthly ministering angel doesn't even know that he or she is being prompted. Either way, the result is a miracle. The New Testament tells us that some have entertained angels unawares—a reminder that we are always on the Lord's errand to bless others and that others or on the Lord's errand to bless us. I learned two things from such experiences. First, I need always to be sensitive to the needs of people around me. What if I am to be the answer to someone's prayer, and I'm not sensitive to the prompting, or I'm too preoccupied with my own concerns, or too selfish to want to give of myself? I suspect that this has happened before. Second, I need to be humble enough to receive of the kindness of others. How foolish it would be for me to ask the Lord's blessing and then turn down those he sends to respond to my prayers. Learning how to receive is an antidote to pride. King Benjamin asked, Are we not all beggars? The answer is yes. He continued, Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have? Again, the answer is yes. A foolish person will consider such talk to be quaint, but a wise person will recognize this to be the foundation of our lives. King Benjamin taught how thoroughly we are dependent on God. Oh, how you ought to thank your heavenly King! I say unto you that if you should render all the thanks and praise which your whole soul has power to possess to that God who has created you, and kept and preserved you, and is preserving you from day to day, that ye may live and move and do according to your own will, and even supporting you from one moment to another. I say, if ye should serve him with all your whole souls, yet would ye be unprofitable servants. And behold, all that he requires of you is to keep his commandments. And if ye do keep his commandments— he doth bless you and prosper you. He doth require that ye should do as He hath commanded you, for if ye do, he doth immediately bless you, and therefore he hath paid you, and ye are still indebted unto him, and are and will be, forever and ever. Therefore, of what have ye to boast? And now I ask, can ye say aught of yourselves? I answer you, nay. Ye cannot say that ye are even as much as the dust of the earth. Yet ye were created of the dust of the earth, but behold, it belongeth to him who created you. Now, how are we to respond to this situation? King Benjamin says that we can't even boast of the dirt we're made of because we don't own the dirt. God creates us preserves us from day to day, gives us breath so we can do what we want, and supports us from one moment to the next. We can't do any of that on our own, and yet we can't repay him for any of it either. Moreover, when we do what he asks us to do, obey his commandments, what does he do? He immediately blesses us again and hence pays us, which places us even more in his debt. We can't pay God back. We can never be even with Him. We will always owe Him. If you want life to be fair, you have come to the wrong planet. In the long run, the eternal long run, we all get much, much more than we deserve. The word grace means service freely rendered. In a gospel context, Grace is what the Father and the Son do for us that we cannot do for ourselves. The list is very long. Think about our eternal existence. We have a spirit that we did not create. It is a gift of grace from God. We have a physical body that we did not create. It is a gift of grace from God, brought to pass by the service of others. We cannot baptize ourselves, ordain ourselves, bless ourselves, endow ourselves, or seal ourselves. All are gifts of grace from God, brought about by the service of others. We cannot take away our own sins. The Atonement is a gift of grace from God, brought about through Jesus Christ. Likewise, we cannot resurrect ourselves. That will be a gift of grace from God. We cannot clothe ourselves with eternal glory. That also will be a gift of grace from God. Indeed, the gospel teaches us that we cannot bring ourselves to heaven. If we want to have a happy eternity, we need to receive the atoning work that only Jesus Christ can do. We must admit that there is no way we can pay him for it, and there is nothing we can give him to make us even. The only thing he asks in return— is that we keep his commandments. And when we do, he then blesses us more. Thus King Benjamin asks, Of what have ye to boast? Can ye say, aught of yourselves? I answer you, Nay. So what are we to do? The point is that we are to admit that this inequity exists. We are to receive this moral imbalance and receive it gladly, Embrace it, welcome it, and feel good about it. But as King Benjamin said, feeling good about it is not to boast but to be thankful for it. We don't need to be embarrassed about our debt to our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son. Our Father in Heaven will always be our God, and Jesus will always be our Savior. Through all eternity we will sing praises to their names and acknowledge our indebtedness to them. In this life, we need to be truly and deeply thankful. Our thankfulness will motivate us to obediently keep their commandments, not out of guilt or debt or fear, but out of genuine love for them. We keep God's commandments and love Him, as the Apostle John taught, because He loved us first, and then He blesses us more. How then do we translate this attitude of receiving into our relations with other people? I suggest that we learn to ask for help when we need it, that we receive it when it is offered, and that we not feel guilty about doing so, and that we recognize that in serving us, others are the Lord's ministering angels doing His work. Here are some of the events that have helped me learn this principle. When I was in graduate school, my wife and I hosted other couples to our home for dinner from time to time. We soon found that the instinct of many people was that if we invited them to dinner, they owed us a dinner in return. We enjoyed the fellowship, but this made the dinners a trade, which wasn't what we had in mind. After some consideration, we changed our strategy and we told the people we invited that if they wanted to return the favor, They should do so by inviting others to their home instead of us, thus spreading the blessing of hospitality. I thought it was a good idea, but we probably offended a lot of ward members. (laughs) Sister Jackson and I are aware that other people pray in our behalf. In some ways, prayers offered in our behalf by others may be more powerful than those we pray for ourselves. We know and feel the power of such prayers, and doing so has motivated us to reach out in our own prayers beyond our own small circle in ways that we never did before. We live in a very loving neighborhood where blessing the lives of others is part of the day-to-day culture. Once or twice a year we have a neighborhood picnic on our street. On one such occasion about a dozen years ago, I was sitting in a lawn chair eating, I was having a hard time getting my cup of lemonade to sit securely on the grass next to my chair without tipping over. Some of you may have had a problem like that before. (laughs) Noticing my plight, a little girl from the neighborhood, about five or six years old, ran over and volunteered to sit on the ground next to my chair and hold my cup steady on the grass. It would have been a lot less work for both of us if I had just drunk the lemonade. But I couldn't resist the pure-hearted offer of service. Every so often I would tell her I needed a drink. She would hand me the cup, I would drink, and then she would put it back on the grass and hold it steady until I needed it again. Every Saturday my bishop works his way down our street, edging people's lawns. What a tremendous image it provides for us to see this good, humble man serving his neighbors in this way. I didn't ask him to do our lawn, he just showed up one day and did it. At first I was embarrassed to see him out working in my front yard. He is a very busy man with much to do, and I hadn't edged our lawn since the 1980s. But receiving His service has been a blessing far beyond the appearance of our yard, and the beautiful straight edge of our lawn is a reminder of a service freely rendered and gladly received. In my patriarchal blessing, I was told to counsel with my mother and receive guidance from her. I found throughout my life that when I did so, I was blessed with wisdom beyond my own abilities. Likewise, when I was struggling with a health issue several years ago, I received a blessing in which I was told in clear language, Listen to your wife. I apparently didn't do so very well because six months later, in a similar blessing under the hands of someone else, I was told again, Listen to your wife. Being willing to receive her counsel was an important part of the healing process. On that second occasion, I was prompted also to finally receive the counsel of my doctor, My stubbornness in thinking I could diagnose myself was not serving me well. Life has many such occasions in which we need the intervention of others who have a clearer vision of things than we do. Our challenge is to be humble enough to receive what they have to offer. Sometimes life is not wonderful, and we have to learn to receive hard things as well as happy things. It is often the case that in receiving life's most difficult experiences, we grow and benefit the most. One of the great lessons we can learn from the Book of Mormon is that there will be times when good, worthy people find themselves in bad circumstances not of their own making that are beyond their ability to remedy on their own. Consider these two passages and now— The afflictions of the Nephites were great, and there was no way that they could deliver themselves. Later we read, And he did exhort all those that had been delivered out of bondage that they should remember that it was the Lord that did deliver them. As in the Book of Mormon, when the Lord provides deliverance or any blessing for us, He often does it through our fellow human beings sent to serve in his stead if we are willing to receive them. These earthly ministering angels are types of Jesus Christ, the ultimate ministering angel. He stands at the door and knocks, sometimes in person and sometimes through the service of others. But we are the ones who need to open the door and receive his blessings that we may do so, is my prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Receiving Help Despite Our Weakness, with thoughts from Gerald Cosset and Kent P. Richards. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.